This is Coda Radio, episode 105, for June 9th, 2014. You're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. Episodes brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good morning. Oh. Good afternoon, Chris. Oh, right, right. Now, and we're celebrating appropriately. The sun just came out. It just broke through the clouds, and I think you just cracked open a beer. I did. I, you know, I'm feeling a little classic today. It's actually just a Samuel Adams uh, Boston lager. Nothing wrong with that at all. That actually sounds rather refreshing. It is. It's, it's, it's got this uh, swift taste that really just goes <laughs> right down. <laughs> a real swift uh, taste, huh? A real swift. It's it, crisp and swift. That's I can't imagine what you it. might be referring to. I, I, I get the sense that there is some sort of a reference there, but I'm not familiar with it. Uh, we do have a good show, though. Uh, we do have a good show coming up today. And, wait, 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 uh, he's a jackass. Hang on. Hang on. That's what? not what the feedback said. What? No. What? No, no feedback. No. If you, if you read the feedback, it's oh. a crappy show coming up today. Oh, well, today? They thought we would swiftly talk about Swift. Okay. All right. So, um... You want to start with Swift? Is that what you're telling me? Are you actually saying you want to talk about Swift? Swift is, sure, let us swiftly get into Swift. Okay, all right. Well, I'm down. I thought I thought we wouldn't touch on it. So I've been doing some uh, reading. And let me tell you what I found. Okay, lay it on me. Swift reminds me of good old QML. So, no, but all seriousness, right? It, it's definitely not going to be the one-to-one Objective-C replacement anytime soon. Uh, and this is all based on the public book they released on iBooks. So, okay, and some playing with it. It um, it could be a very good layout language, and maybe one day be what they want it to be. But right now, I think that's where it's going to be a strong suit. And I welcome all the new Swift developers, except for Zane Swafford, <laughs> um, to to the Apple ecosystem. Do you know why? No, I really, I really don't. <laughs> Because I am rocking an HTC One M8. Oh, are you? Uh, no, I mean, you can't tell me Swift is making you uh, throw in the towel on the. No, iOS. no, no. But seriously, though, it is going to be a very good graphical, very good markup language. Not markup language. I'm sorry, layout language. Uh, and I actually think it has a place in the tool chest. I still think people who try to whole hog abandon Objective C are gonna find problems. That's not going to work for a long time. Yeah, I'm thinking, I and mean, we're talking years, right? But I, you know. Let me ask you this: During the, you know, when they were talking about it, they kind of did pitch it as a full replacement. Yeah, and they, I, they I, did. It, it, I feel like they oversold it a bit because it's, it's not. Well, which I, makes don't makes you think they terrible. did that because that's where they want it to go? Oh, of course. Eventually, it's going to be. It's like carbon and cocoa, right? That's kind of what I was thinking, and the, and the reason why they sort of pitched it as a replacement is because that's how they already see it internally. And you know what I realized after watching after after we got off air is we weren't the only ones finding out about Swift for the first time. There's probably oh, hundreds Apple, of yeah. yeah, hundreds of engineers at Apple that are writing Objective-C right now. They're like, excuse me? What am I doing now? Because <laughs> like, they kept it a major secret internally, too. 
Yeah, I, I, I really, you know, definitely my reaction was a little stronger than it needed to be. I still think there are serious concerns with Swift. Uh, and we're not going to, this whole episode's not going to be about Swift and Apple, but. You did write a blog post about it, though, I see. I did, yeah. I mean, that was more the positive stuff. I was going to write another one with the negative stuff, but why not just do it on the show? Okay. Uh, there is, I'm not super comfortable with a language that's 100% proprietary and 100% not open source. Yeah. Um, you know, even, you know, you might say, oh, well, you've done Azure. Well, C-sharp is open, you know, is a standard. Right? What about Objective-C? I mean, how does Objective-C that... Objective-C is a standard. It's not Apple's. It's just Apple's the only one who uses it. Okay, I got you. It's an ANSI standard, right? Yeah, I got you. Um, and I've been kind of following a lot of the Apple stuff. It's, one of the advantages, at least the Apple folks seem to be saying, is that they like Swift because it's not an ANSI standard or an ECMA standard. And to me, that's terrible. Hmm. Um, well, if know. you look at it from the being a competitive, you know, uh, having a competitive advantage to learn it, is there an advantage there to knowing something that's so specialized? You know, I'm not even worried about because Objective C is super specialized, right? But it is still an ANSI standard, and that, right. that may not mean a lot. But to me, it's no. I see your point. It, you know, in 1994, okay, in 2014. I'm hard pressed to use a language that's not a standards approved language, a stand, you know, with some sort of standard standardization body around it. Yeah, one of the immediate pieces of uh, you know sort of real time feedback I was seeing on Twitter during the uh, keynote was like, can you point to a language like Swift that survived over you know a decade or more period of time that's that's really locked to one platform, one vendor like this? I mean, yeah. I'm sure there are some, but they're probably not huge, right? Uh, well, and the biggest thing about Swift to me was it feels like a lot of other things merged together. Um, it's like Ruby and some weird form of almost like C Sharp had a baby. Well, they, didn't they say it's Objective C without the C? Yeah, isn't that what they call it? Yeah, and and people that say they, you know, people who look at it say they, you know, it they can see that a little bit. It, it seems like it seems like in a way of uh, pragmatic. Like it's not perfect, but it seems pragmatic is a lot. What I've heard a lot of people say. How do you feel about that? So from reading the book twice it, it, and from playing with it, it's definitely engineered to get you to do a very nice tech demo very quickly. <laughs> um, and I mean that in the least facetious way possible. Oh, I it, get you. That sounds exactly like Apple, though. It's going to get you know your, your, your college kid wanting to develop apps to something impressive to show mom pretty quickly. Um, in a more professional context, it's, it's not mature, right? That doesn't mean it's terrible. It just means it's new, just like Node, which does suck. But yeah. moving on. it means it's going to have a lot. Of, it needs a lot of time. Well, also, they're not entirely sure about the syntax yet. So they, they, I, I, I wish I had the book in front of me, but there's something where they say the syntax isn't yet 1.0. No, in fact, they, actually, I believe they actually state it will change. Right. So it is not where they made it sound like it is in, in the keynote, right? So this is something that's still very experimental. Well, and to that point, I don't know if you saw, but Brett Simmons uh, took to his blog and he said, uh, this is why I'm jumping on Swift. I'm jumping on Swift because I can get in on it now, and I'm going to base the next decade of my career on this language. So I get in on the ground floor, and I learn, I learn it now, and I help maybe potentially mold it to where it could be. And if nothing else, I at least know what I'm getting into, is essentially what he says. So the thing is, I... Well, Will there be, you know, will there be a call for a Swift developer who isn't an Objective C developer, right? 
No, no, not for a long time. You can't. I, 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 I can't see that for at least three. Don't years. you think Swift is going to be used as like glue for a while? Or I feel, I feel like it's going to be used for layouts. I feel like it's you know QML has the ability to do more than layouts, but people kind yeah. of don't don't do anything other than layouts with it. And that's kind of where I feel Swift is going to go. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, if you look at it, you could do some impressive layout demos in it very quickly, right? Um, Brett goes on to write. He says, "I've heard some developers say they want to wait about a year." And I totally understand that attitude. It's reasonable to assume that Swift code written today may not compile in a few months. It's a work in progress. But my thinking is this. If I start using it now, I can provide feedback, and that feedback will help shape the programming language that I'm likely to use for the rest of my career. Maybe I'll have a ton of feedback, and maybe I'll have none. But I sure hate to miss this chance to help. Is it time to play with it for, uh, for a shop that's interested in iOS development? Well, I, you know, I encourage everybody to play with everything. Now, if you define playing with it as go do a little demo, well, that's exactly what I did. If you imply play with it as take one of your customers' projects and try to make a part of it swift, I think you're an idiot, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's like anything else that's new, but I still think there's more cause for concern with this than with, say, Node, which I hate on constantly because it's still very, very proprietary and... That means no one else is going to adopt it, right? So what Absolutely. If, That's what exactly Apple, what it means. I'm, I'm just thinking, like, and we're going to move on from this right after this. But okay. if you're a junior developer thinking of going into mobile and you're like, you know what, Objective-C, I'm just not feeling the pointers, right? Um, I'm going to go full full hog Swift. And then in a year and a half, Apple's like, mm, going back to Objective-C, Swift didn't work out. Kind of, yeah. kind of like Java Coco. Remember that, guys? I don't, I don't, oh gosh, wow. And this happened once before. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could see that. Well, it just seems like it's a non-transferable skill, right? And that, that kind of frightens me. But then it's... It is a non-transferable so skill. You're right. No, and this yeah. is part of, this is part of platform lock-in that... This is the other problem I have with Metal, to be honest with you. And Metal looks like a very compelling piece of technology as well. And it's also probably very early days. Well, I th- I, so I think Metal is actually going to be much more important, much faster than Swift is. Because mm, you can uh, take you could you could take advantage of it right now yeah. right, once it's shipping. You, and you Linux guys are screwed. Get it out of here. <laughs> That's what I say to that. <laughs> they, they shanked you right in the heart. It was... Yeah. Oh, I, by the way, Chris, are, how's the sound quality on my new uh, Retina MacBook Pro here? What? You got it? So you bought a new MacBook Pro? Yes. <laughs> You did what? You sound good. You sound good. Uh, Thank you. I uh, yes, I, we added a, another team member, and I I just you know instead of buying another computer, I'm like, why not buy myself one? Yeah, and pass mine down. Yeah. So um, were you kind of waiting to see if they'd do anything at WWDC, and when they didn't, you just thought, all right, I'm going to buy a current one. So I wanted a new Mac Mini. Well, yeah, I mean really. that's yeah. I can't believe they didn't update any hardware. Yeah, and it was just you know my little air was just not. I think I called this. I, I think I did call this, by the way. I think you I did, t- that I would cave and buy a product. Yeah. <laughs> no, you called it. I think it's like three episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> so how is it? It is – I should have done this before. Yeah. I suffered way too long with my, my – my Air only had four gigs of RAM. My Air was – it was kind of a stopgap. So can you, do you notice a difference with the – I've been curious. I want to try a machine with a high DPI display. I'm, do you notice – 
I do. I uh, I altered the settings a little because I like a higher resolution rather than yeah. bigger. Oh, so you can do that. You can say instead yeah. of the pixel doubled. So is it like is it like tiny, 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 or is there like an in between you can set? So it the, there's an in between. I'm using the in between. Um, oh, that's nice. And what? I'm also right, right now I have it in uh, in clamshell mode hooked up to a cinema display. So I'm doing the Apple hat trick really. Do you do you effect, Do you know what the effective resolution is when you have it in that mode? Is it like more than 1080p screen real estate or? When it's hooked up to the cinema display? No, when you have it in, in like, uh, not quite pixel-doubled mode, but you, you have it in in-between mode, is, does it tell you what the resolution is, or do they just have some sort of name for it? Uh, I think it does. I can't do it now. Because yeah, I think it's because you got it closed. Yeah. yeah, and I okay. think it'll have a stroke. Curious to know how that... I've, I, I, really want a, I really want a machine with high DPI just to try out, like, No, it's, it's funny. The only thing I've noticed when I ran it in real retina mode... Um, Sites that haven't updated to Retina, oh my god. Uh, don't even tell me about our site. Ugh. We have so yeah. many images that we have. Low well, I wasn't res- going to say anything. Oh, we do, though. I mean, yeah. the thing is, is we have, we have so many images that to go, to go Retina on our website, or, or high DPI, whatever you want to call right. it, uh, it essentially disadvantages every, every other person who's not on a high DPI display. Yeah. Yeah, and no, and it ups our that. bandwidth cost. So it's kind of like, it's one of those Why things where I think a lot of people are waiting to pull the trigger. All right, well, before we get to our feedback, I can't believe you got a MacBook. <laughs> yes, you can. I can. Your I can. Totally I, I do. I can tell. Uh, I actually, it doesn't surprise me at all. And, you know, the funny thing is, it's kind of like these computers are so fast now, you don't really have to wait till the next one comes out because the current one is probably more powerful than you need, right? right. So. And, 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 you know, I'll be fair. I'm also thinking if I'm not happy with, with it, which actually I've been extremely happy with it so far, um, I'll just... Give it to someone else when I hire someone. One last, uh, one last um, Apple keynote WWDC thing before we just close the book on that for the year. Yeah, right. Um, did you notice like how they are way more loose with the NDA this year? Like, uh, like developers are allowed to talk about some of the stuff, and like uh, when it comes to the the iOS and macOS 10 beta, specifically the macOS 10 beta, it's like, yeah, whatever. You can talk about it; it's fine. Like, this yeah, is a totally different approach, and like they're even. On, yeah, they're super fast and loose. I'm, I'm, I'm still being cautious, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at anything NDA just yet because I yeah work, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we got to get to the feedback. So I want to thank our first sponsor this week, and that is the awesome folks over at DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and deploy yourself an SSD cloud server in 55 seconds, or maybe even less, depending on your skills. Now, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. And it goes just so far beyond that, because once you have a DigitalOcean droplet, you really begin to enjoy some of the features that DigitalOcean offers, including their excellent control panel that lets you create a cloud server in about 55 seconds. And the pricing plans, the value is incredible. It starts at $5 a month. It gets you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a super fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer for $5 a month. Think about what you could do with your own server up in the cloud connected to tier one bandwidth with data center locations all over the world new york san francisco singapore amsterdam digitalocean has got it figured out you guys because they're basing all this on some tried and true linux technology sitting on top of ssds connected some of the best bandwidth providers in the world with their incredible control panel on top of it their interface is simple and intuitive and power users can replicate it on a much larger scale with their straightforward api and you're starting to see developers take advantage of that with control panel applets for the Mac, 
for Ubuntu, probably for Windows, too. <laughs> I don't know. But it lets you manage your droplets right from your menu bar. It's pretty cool. And that's just a, a one example. You could also manage your own replications or backups or templates or snapshots. And DigitalOcean offers hourly pricing if you need to do some testing. That's just one of the many reasons that my very co-host, Mr. Michael Dominic, uses DigitalOcean for their back end. And I'm using DigitalOcean for more and more all the time. You know, Mike, the thing, too, is like you've probably experienced this. Like, well, I've already got a rig all set up. I'll just take this droplet and duplicate this droplet and set up a new server. And like half the work's already all done. All the time. Yeah. All the time. It, it's like it allows you to get your very own server-grade production system up in the cloud in seconds, and the pricing is just absolutely insane. I, I think it's just one of the best values on the Internet. Plus, they have a great community. You can ask questions. You can view projects and see what other folks are doing with their DigitalOcean machine. And go check out the Jupiter Broadcasting Google Plus community, the Jupiter Colony, where people are talking about some of the cool things they're doing with their DigitalOcean droplets. If you're a small business, if you're an individual there's a possibility. Or if you just want to learn, DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code, special promo code for the month of June to get you a $10 credit when you check out with Coder June. Coder June when you check out will get you a $10 credit. You can try out that $5 rig for two months. It's a great deal over at DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Go check them out, guys. Seriously, go build yourself a server. It's like awesome. And you can do so many things with it. All right, Mr. Dominic, let's start with our first bit of feedback this week. Uh, this one uh, comes from Matthias, and it's on Qt. Yes, I said Qt. He says, hi, Chris and Mike. I want to give some feedback concerning Qt. I think the major barrier for Qt is the fact that it's written in the most craptastic language in the universe, C++. And there might be a perception that you cannot use pure C if you want to use Qt, whereas GTK is written in C. However, now that GTK3 comes with those client-side decorations that make it unusable unless you use GNOME, developers are left with GTK2 and Qt. So Qt is probably going to gain even more popularity. P.S. I hope that me writing out Qt instead of Qt helped. I think that's exactly what Mike and I have been saying, to be honest. Is uh, There's just a lot of... It's yeah. not just that. There's a lot of factors that are... Gonna re- that are, are I feel like they're assembling for Qt, right? It's not one thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not one thing. I think it's kind of a separation there. Yeah. And that's just one of the factors on the Linux desktop and all over the place. Now, we got a good one here from uh, Bart, and uh, he has a question. Oh, shoot, you know, uh, Slexi8, one of my emails, uh, darn it, it was from a, a longtime listener from Episode 1, too, but I did get his book recommendation, so we'll cover that, too. But I did not, I was not able to get his email because Slexi was having an outage, which is the little paste bin alternative I use. Uh, so Bart writes in, we'll get to Bart's email. He says, hi, Mike and Chris, still catching up on the shows after a brief hiatus. What the hell? Bart, a hiatus? Oh, man, I... Oh. He's a jackass. No, I'm kidding. It's totally fine. I'm glad you're back, Bart. Uh, Bart, he says, uh, oh, it also congratulates you on the marriage, Mike. So, uh, boy, I probably should have read Bart. that part before I gave him a hard time. Bart, you're awesome. I'm sorry. He says, I'm sorry if you've already addressed this, but you mentioned in episode 98 that you were wary of deploying your own system for version control and issue reporting. I work in a corporate environment. I've used GitLab and Redmine together, and it's been great. I, uh, he says, by the way, deployed it in under a day myself using MySQL and Rails. They've been stable and easy to manage. GitLab has many of the features GitHub has, including user-owned repositories, forking, merge poll requests, and Redmine fully provides features for issue tracking and time tracking. It's easy to get set, and so and it's easy to push out commits. 
and they're linked to Redmine for issues, and I can automatically close them when I push code. You may have some other risk-driven incentives not to deploy your own system, but I just wanted to let you know that GitLab and Redmine make it ridiculously easy, Bart. Well, what do you so think of actually, that? That's actually funny because the topic of today's show is how, uh, how Fingertip moved from GitHub to GitLab on a DO server. I was thinking the same thing. So, Oh, I yep. did. Oh no, I didn't get the email. Shoot. Well, I'll cover our uh, book pick towards the end. Do you want to jump into that? Why don't we just jump right in? Yeah, let's do it, because that's kind of answering Bart's question right there. Yeah, so been evaluating solutions for a while. Uh, folks who listen back will know that you know, we were getting to the point where GitHub was getting very, very expensive. Granted, it's a small expense compared to you know, payroll, but yeah. still expensive for what it is, right? Um, also, there have been some issues with GitHub. Mm. There were a few outages in a row that mm-hmm. were causing with our already very compressed schedule at the time, causing a lot of undue pressure. Yeah, that's stressful. So, yes, I know if you, if you need the remote server to be up with Git, you're doing it wrong. But <laughs> at, that, at that point, we were just doing it wrong because everybody needed to merge now. Um, and it was just one of those kind of situations. So, you know, DigitalOcean, we've been using it for a while for deployments of basically Rails servers and a few Java Play. But interesting side note, Chris, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of Rails again. Um, Rather than Java. Hmm. Anyway, we ended up installing the uh, the GitLab that DigitalOcean preconfigures for you on the server. Now, this took, I think, a grand total of ten minutes. Oh, nice! To do the install and the configure, and the biggest portion of that was me waiting for it to update itself because the version Do gives you is actually not the most recent version. Mm. So I went ahead and updated it because we are currently using a chat room called Slack. Mm. Um. And we wanted the Slack integration for notifications. Now, there are a few... So GitLab is extremely friendly to developers. But there are a few features that um, I would say GitHub had that are more non-developer PM management friendly. Uh, For instance... Hold on yep. one second. Sorry, real time follow up. Uh, Russ Jr. 8 in the chat room says the DigitalOcean just updated their GitLab image. <laughs> so oh wow! Go. Okay, yeah. So we did this a while ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, right off the bat, GitLab is not nearly as pretty as GitHub, and for some people, that's a problem. It doesn't deal with issues as well as I would like it to. Oh. Uh, for instance, you can do issues. You can do tags. But GitHub had a very neat system where you could color code your issues. GitLab has oh, a yeah. few built-in ones. Yeah. But, for instance, we have a crasher and a bug. For some reason, crashers are green, a very happy green, and bugs are red. Not great, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what we used to do in GitHub. I think bug was red and crasher was, like, black as the night itself, or, or maybe it was a darker red. Something that catches the attention, though. Right. Um, it has milestones, but... They're, again, it doesn't have the same visual, visualization as GitHub in terms of like percent completion and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's less of an at-a-glance view for like someone like a PM or someone like that to see every milestone for every project. So it's it's a little more, honestly, it's a little more open source, right? It's very developer-friendly, but not exactly oversight-friendly. Now, you could say, well, if you need to add all this oversight, you know, that's not really what source control is for, right? Um, and that's fair. I mean, as a Git source control system, it's awesome. It just doesn't send, it doesn't give you enough of the, uh, should we say views into the data that you would want? Yeah. Yeah, it makes as someone, sense. As someone managing things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So what the writer did is kind of interesting to me, actually, because he, he used GitLab where it's strong and right. then he used Redmine where it's strong. Right. Now, I've never liked Redmine because it looks terrible. It gives me flashbacks, to be honest with you, yeah, but it, it does uh, do the a, job. It's like Jira. It's a little too enterprisey for me. <laughs> oh, gosh, enterprisey. Oh, God, enterprise. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those situations where really the, the biggest issue that we're having with GitLab is the bug tracker. Um, having said that, it's fantastic, right? Uh, certainly if you're one person or one or two people developing code, you should be fine. It's really the issues of scale where think what's happening is as we scale a little bit, GitLab's internal issue tracker is not so robust enough. I guess before you go to the group stuff, uh, let me ask you this. If I'm, you know, uh, kind of my, my work on, on my own little project myself or, you know, a team of a couple of people, why would I use GitHub over GitLab if I'm paying? Like, what would be? I, it just seems so obvious. I could see it. Almost to me, seems like GitLab's more advantageous when you get a little bit bigger, even though the cost is more. You mean GitHub's a little more advantageous? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. GitHub, the pay service, almost seems better for larger groups, even though you're paying more. But also at the same time, you're probably at a. You're probably if you're in a larger group like that, in a more likely position to pay more. Yes and no. I mean, GitHub has some also weird things about like the developers being, you know, the way the organizations work in GitHub is a little weird to me, right? Mm. Where it's there, it could be their personal account using your organization. I never really loved that. Get it out of here. Um, I don't know. I mean, as GitHub has advanced, it's become a little too social networky for me. Yeah. I mean, certainly it, you have a point in that it does offer a lot of features. One thing I would challenge is that because of you know, the, the development shop business model, we tend to scale prop repos right faster than people and faster than revenue. So what that means is the increasing cost of GitHub, we're just getting a little silly because we constantly, every project needed these two repos, right? And it, you start to feel like they're nickel and diming you because, yeah. I mean, to me, you know, one, a, a three-man team with 10 repos, I almost felt like you should pay by the person. That might be a more accurate measurement of how much you could afford to pay rather than how many repos did you, did you open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone in the chat mentioned Bitbucket. We actually used to use Bitbucket. It was... Right. Um, that's where you started, right? Before yeah, you, that's where we started before before um, before GitHub. Bitbucket has a lot of the same issues as GitLab, except Bitbucket doesn't have the advantage of you hosting yourself and owning all the data. So there's another side of this is where owning all the data might may or may not be important to you. Uh, in my case, it's become important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, setting up GitHub, GitLab, if you've ever deployed a Rails app, it's not very hard. Uh, in fact, there's a config.yaml to change everything, right? One of the pain points, actually, is as you set it up, you need to configure an I- a, a domain name. Real stuff gets really, really weird as it tries to use, like, the 109 point whatever. Mm. Yeah. And for you Linux nerds out there, this is deployed on Ubuntu, you know, the, the one true Linux distro. And so what's been – has it been a month now? Uh, it's been a little over a month, actually, yeah. 
And are yeah. you running that in a Docker container, or do you just dedicate the whole machine to it's it? It's just the whole machine. Interesting. Yeah. So the, the one thing that's actually super obnoxious is I went to cancel our GitHub account, you know, right at – so we, we got charged on the 15th, and I canceled on the 16th, thinking mm. it would just, yeah. you know, phase out yeah. on the next 15th. Yeah. They shut you down immediately, and they don't refund your money. Oh. Which seems super shady. And I feel like that happened because someone made a coding mistake on their subscription system. <laughs> so did you have to go reactivate? No, I sent a support ticket that got a Oh, code. good, good. That's good. That's yeah, good to know. Okay. So it, it's funny because, you know, I was unsure about the decision. Then once I got my support ticket totally blown off, I was like, oh, good. I made the right choice. Thanks. Oh, interesting. So what was that migration process like? Was that hard for you guys or did you It just... was hard because I expected GitHub to be up for another another month. Yeah. Intentionally let it renew. Right. Uh, the idea was going to be that we would move all our all our documentation and things over from right. GitHub to yeah. GitLab. Well, and then and then by the time the that 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 term had been paid up, you'd be done with the move. Exactly. That makes sense to me. So we ended up having to recreate a bunch of documentation. Oh, sucks. Yeah. So that was uh, very annoying. Yeah. Uh, Git GitHub is. You know, I, I really like GitHub. I obviously wrote an app that that is super GitHub focused. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I I think they're kind of losing their way a little. You think uh, they? You think they're uh, they're trying to maybe appeal to a mass or broader audience and create maybe like a social network around coding, and they've sort of lost focus. You think it's yeah, a focus thing? I th- well, I think it's. You know, I think at the end of the day, GitHub feels like it's about the individual developer as an individual. You know, not not the group, not the company, not the organization, not even the project, right? And to me, right now, I don't think that's the best focus. Um, you know, for instance, with a small team, you put a lot of effort into collaboration and getting people to, you know, work together as a team. Be on the same raw, page. Yeah. Raw kind of thing. And when GitHub is so focused on individual commit contribute contributions and individual achievements. Ah, yes. Um, Whereas going off on your own GitLab makes it about the team. Right, exactly. That makes total sense. So that that's a little... Um, yeah, oh, someone in the chat's asking, does GitLab have a companion app? Yes, well, no. Uh, it does and it doesn't. It's... Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if I would write another code journal for GitLab at the moment. I um, I think one thing that's changed since I originally wrote CG is that a lot of other services have already integrated with that kind of thing. So if you're using HipChat, if you're using Slack... You it became get, a feature. Right, it became a feature, not a product. Now, at the time, it was certainly its own thing, right? Like, yeah. that made sense. Yeah. In fact, I still prefer, for, for mm-hmm. customer projects, um, I keep code journal open because... I prefer to keep it segregated, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I would take that undertaking now. Yeah, I I, I could see that now. It, it, yeah. The landscape has just changed. Landscape has changed. I mean, you're getting and the, and the other thing is, you know, at the time there was virtually no competition. Actually, there was none until a month later. Right. Um, and now the vast majority of apps that are dominant in that space are free. Yeah. Yeah, you got instapapered. So, you yeah, got, like you got Instapapered yeah. in Insta time. <laughs> don't get me wrong; it still generates you know revenue, but it's not a ton. And yeah, I kind of reached out to some of our newer customers, and there are people who are using it because they don't, they specifically don't like integrations. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. So integrating with another service, I mean, unless it was like a separate spin, I, I don't know. It's it's definitely not something I'm thinking about. 
Not at the moment. I mean, I, for instance, right now, with GitHub, I'm using Slack, which is a, it's like a hip chat alternative. And we have a channel called GitLab, which is like a chat room. So every time somebody does something in GitLab, you, it gives you a notification right there. Slack chat, S-L-A-C-K? Uh, yes. Be less busy. Ooh, I like that. That's yeah. a good, that's a, how do you have, how do you have a chat room that makes you less busy? I'm going to put a link to that in the bookmark, or in the show notes. I'm going to check that out after the show. We've been using Viber, um, <clears throat> but uh, it has issues. So is there an Android app for Slack? There is. It's, it's pretty. It's very HTML5, though, so it has all the HTML5. Is there an iOS app for Slack? There is, yeah. Good. Is there desktop apps for Slack? There is a Macintosh app, and then there is a Chrome app. Okay. Right. It's one of those new I can, do, I can do a Chrome app. Uh, but to be honest with you, the whole, the whole even, the, uh, even the Mac app, it's... Ooh, it's got good search, huh? That's nice. Yeah, Something does. comes it's... up in the chat, and then you want to... I always end up scrolling way up in the, in the chat dialogue. No, it, it's, it's very good, and to be honest, we've been super happy. And all, do you have it on multiple devices, and they all sync up? Yeah, so if I respond to something on my – so right now I have it open on my Mac here, right? Yeah. But it's on my phone and my iPad next to me. If I respond on my Mac, it's not going to notify me that someone pinged me. That's really cool. And does it do yeah. pictures and voice? It does pictures. I don't believe it does voice. What about file? It does tons of file stuff. It integrates with Dropbox, Google Drive. Oh, uh, really? Evernote, I think. Yeah. Are I you serial? I, That's pretty cool. Yeah, I could look. Hang on. Universal search. I dig that. Huh. That's pretty. I'm going to take a look at this. Uh, uh, yeah, it does. Trello, GitHub, Google Docs, Twitter, Dropbox. This is super badass, actually. Huh. Look at that. Oh, and Google Hangouts too. Yep. Yeah, very so very integrated with Google Apps for Business. I mean, that's kind of the reason. Uh, Slack integrates with dozens of services. And Trello and Asana and Jenkins. Oh, so if you're doing continuous delivery, continuous integration. So you could use you could you could transfer files through the chat using Dropbox. Yeah. That's or Google Drive. That's pretty cool. Heroku, Honey Badger, Jira, Nagios, Mailchimp. Oh my gosh, this is great! This is a really good app. Huh. I'm going to check that out after the show. Well, I'm checking it out right now, but I'm going to check it out more after the show. Uh, I kind of had some good news I want to talk about. So uh, let me. Are you uh, any other thoughts on the uh, GitLab stuff? Anything you else you want to touch on? No, I think we're good. I mean, it's uh, you know, I would definitely encourage anyone in the chat room who's thinking about it, go ahead and do it. It is not that hard. You got to edit a few YAML files, run some basic Ruby and Ruby 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 commands. Ruby, Ruby, <laughs> and uh, some basic Bash command, and you are good to go. So um, right now, as we record this episode of Coda Radio, it is a Monday, June 9th. It's about 12.42 on the West Coast, and um, there's a conference going on. And I'm not talking about E3. I'm talking about something relevant to our interests. Uh, so I want to, And they've made some big announcements, too. I want to talk about those. But first, I want to thank the awesome guys over at Linux Academy, our second sponsor this week. And I think this is a great sponsor for the Coda Radio program because I think a lot of times you get stuck in the position of having to do a little bit more system administration than you expected. Or if you're like me and you need to brush up on some skills because it's been a couple of years, Linux Academy could be a great place to start. Also, if you just want to learn some basic Linux, Linux fundamentals, OpenStack fundamentals, Amazon AWS fundamentals, all that kind of stuff, it's over at linuxacademy.com. In fact, go to linuxacademy.com slash coders you'll get a special discount. A, 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 oh, in fact... If you go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders right now, you can take advantage of a 20% off deal that's just for the Coder Radio audience. This is a great deal, linuxacademy.com slash coders. Now, let me tell you a little bit 
about Linux Academy. They have a really interesting system that they've built themselves. They created this from scratch. They coded it themselves because they realize there's not a, there's not another platform out there they could adopt. And I've logged in. I've checked out the system. I have to tell you, it is really, really well done. And here's some of the courseware they have. Mastering the Linux command line. Introduction to VMware ESX. Introduction to Android development. OpenStack Essentials. Introduction to Python on Linux. They also have scenario-based hands-on labs for LAMP stack or configuring Ubuntu or Apache SSL certificates What's, or fixing the heartbeat bleed bug. Check that out. And this, these scenario-based courses are really interesting because you actually do the work and you would do the exact work that you would do in a production environment. So when you are in a production environment and need to complete that task, you've gone through it end-to-end. The other thing that can help you do that is their awesome courses. They have step-by-step video courses. You can also download text versions of them, audio versions of them. So you can listen to them on the go. You can keep track of your progress. Study guides are great, very resourceful. And what's awesome is you can run up to seven different Linux distributions, and the course material will automatically adjust to the distribution you're using. If you want to look at AWS-certified programs, go over to linuxacademy.com coders. You want to become an AWS-certified sysops, linuxacademy.com coders. There's a lot of great and, – and you know what? They're actually adding new content all the time. Two to three new courses a week. This is an incredible resource, and you can save 20% off by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Really, it's never been a better time to go get your skills just a little bit up to the next level or start somewhere. Make yourself more employable. Make yourself be able to do that extra task. Bill a little more or just refresh those skills. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go get yourself learned up, you guys. This is a great I'm a self I'm a self-taught Linux guy, and I gotta tell you, sometimes it just is worth going back to the essentials and learning from the beginning. Linuxacademy.com slash coders and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So right now, as we do this show, Mr. Dominic, DockerCon is going. Can you believe these guys have their own convention now? <laughs> yeah, I, I can actually. Docker's it's super cool. Yes, super serial. So Docker today announced uh, version 1.0 of Docker and some new enterprise stuff. So let's start with Docker 1.0. This is big. I mean, this is something they've been working on for a while. They've been planning to announce it. I knew they were sitting on it for a big event. This is it right here. And it's gotten really stable. So they have some new stuff in uh, 1.0, some new new, uh, support for uh, a lot of Linux underlying stuff, like uh, some file system stuff on Linux and device mapper stuff. The Docker engine now has the ability to pause and unpause containers, allowing them, you know, so you can pause a, re- uh, a container if you need to grab back some CPU cycles for a little while. Uh, they've updated the security profile for, di- for device access. And in terms of storage and file system support, like I mentioned, they added support for XFS and some additional support for ButterFS on Linux. And the Docker engine has received an official port uh, to... Uh, uh, Oh, it's been assigned an official port, port 2375 and port 2376. These will be used for HTTP and HTTPS traffic to the Docker API. Wow. They got it they got it, they got an actual official INA port. That's awesome. Uh 40 bug fixes improved API consistency and they've rewritten the documentation. Among some of the things they announced, they also announced Docker Hub and official Docker repositories, which is huge. Uh, and of course, I mentioned earlier, the enterprise support. It's been 15 months since Docker launched. So it's been a fast 15 months. And uh, they're, now, they're now positioning themselves as sort of the containers for everything. They, I think they're positioning themselves as ship your applications in a Docker container. And you can deploy it using Docker Hub. 
So you imagine an installer that just goes out to Docker Hub and pulls down a company's image. So you don't even, when you buy a piece of software, all you get is something that just like initiates the Docker setup and installs a Docker container. Uh, so now it's 1.0, Mr. Dominic. It's safe to ship to your clients. Are you going to do it? Yes. Yes. No. Yes. I mean, maybe. Uh, I think I, I like am. It. I think I think I'm going to start officially putting it in production in places here in the studio. Yeah, I, I, I think I am. I mean, the I, first of all, I want that Docker shirt. Yeah. And that Docker hat. Um, I I don't know much about the Docker Hub just yet. That's very interesting. It's very new. They just they just yeah. announced it this morning. We don't know anything about it really because it was literally just a few minutes ago. <laughs> uh, official repositories include a repository for CentOS, MongoDB, MySQL, Nginx, Ubuntu, and WordPress all have official Docker Hub repositories. So you can ship WordPress as a WordPress is now shipped as a Docker container through the Docker Hub. And so is, so is Nginx. You want Nginx? It's just a Docker uh, image deployment away. Yeah, so I mean really like a more practically for us, right? A Rails Docker deployment would would be awesome. Right, right. That's uh, just always the same configuration that we start with. We don't have to worry about you know, turning off CoffeeScript because it's terrible. Uh, oh, you know, they also announced enterprise support. So if you did ship a client application with do- using Docker, they would have a support backend that you could refer people to if things got bad. And they're also offering consulting and training on Docker. So this is the business model then, consulting? Consulting, training, support, and probably something to do with that hub. I haven't read into the hub how that works. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess this is the business model is... Well, and it makes sense. Sell training on Docker, sell consulting on Docker, services yes. around it. I mean, that that's a tr- that's a tried and true open source revenue model. Right. So that's a, the Red Hat thing. Yeah, I mean, I think Docker is probably one of the most important backend technologies we've seen in a while. I mean, in a lot of ways, it solves a problem that's kind of boring, right? <laughs> Moving your application from one backend to another. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, Sometimes the most mundane, pain-in-the-ass stuff getting solved is it's going to be the most important. I'm pretty excited about Docker Hub. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, so Docker Hub, they say, this is how they describe it on the uh, Docker website. Put simply, Docker Hub is about content collaboration and workflow. Um, it says it's, it's, it's intimately tied to Docker Engine. Docker Hub provides a wide range of services for dis- distributed applications, including container image distribution, change management, user and team collaboration, lifecycle workflow automation, and third-party services integration. Wow. Wow. I don't even know what half that means, but it essentially sounds like this is a way for third-party companies to come along and distribute their software to pretty much any cloud service that implements Docker support through the Docker Hub. So, like, you could deploy to DigitalOcean, you could deploy to Rackspace, you could deploy to any, any stack that's, that's running Docker images you could deploy to from the Docker Hub, potentially. So, like, hey, this application needs uh, uh, to be on Rackspace. This application needs to be on Docker. Maybe something like that. I don't know. So is this a GitHub situation where the, you know, Docker Hub is not open source and is a paid service and Docker, well, Docker itself is? Yeah, I guess that, well, yeah, I guess they probably don't have the back end. I mean, they have an API for it. But, yeah, there's no, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you, I think you nailed that part, yeah. So I'm wondering, is, did it say there would be a cost or did it say Docker Hub would be free? I think if there's a cost involved, it'd be for those publishing, not for those using, right? So if you want to be, 
if you want to, if you want MongoDB or you want whatever on there, I don't know exactly. This is something I'll have to look into after we get off the air, because that's a great question. And this is a huge day. I mean, to be 1.0 for this, I mean, I think this is one of the fundamentally game-changing technologies. I know we've had containers before, but integrating, first of all, first-party support across the board for Docker, all these tech companies are all in on Docker, and I think that's huge to rally behind one particular standard. Should not be underlooked. The second thing, though, that's really big is this whole almost GitHub-like deployment aspect where you have the, the hub that has these image repos and where I can have a fresh machine with, with a bare Docker insta- uh, installation and then a- after I execute a couple of commands, you know, I pull down an entire Ubuntu 14.04 environment with everything set up that I've been working on for two weeks on a completely different machine. And it's that sort of upload, download, deploy. Uh, I think that's huge. Then you combine that with the industry support. And now the commercial support and the consulting and the training, Docker wins, right? Yeah, I think this, this is going to be very, very, very significant. And I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes the standard. I think so. I mean, at least for Linux, and I think that's what counts when you're talking about cloud hosting. So I think I think Docker just won. And the thing is, is if people support this, it sort of neutralizes the cloud hosting platform playing field. If you can, if you can just pick things up in a Docker image and move them to whoever gives you the best deal or the best bandwidth or whatever, the best support, and it's no longer being tied to their entire infrastructure. You know, it's it's portable now. It. I don't know. I'm pretty excited about it. It won't solve all problems, but I think it could solve a lot of problems for a lot of people. Uh, all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, that was everything we had on our list, I think. You know uh, you know what comes up next week, uh, like on Wednesday, is Google I.O. Oh, no. No more. I know. No. Well, then, we're, then we get, we got to get through Google I.O. And, you know, we probably should do a predictions episode oh. so that way we go on the record. Wait on there, Chris. We've got some real-time feedback here. All right. Lay it on me. Uh, Elkin in the chat, if I could... Only open link. Sent us what appears to be a pricing page for oh for, um, Docker Hub. Oh, really? The, oh, it is almost exactly the same as GitHub. Is this real? I will pull it up on the uh, video stream too. Here, let this me looks. Like, let me see. Actually, here. no. This is cheaper than GitHub. Never mind. Okay. Huh? Oh, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't quite. Here, let me. Uh... So that that makes a lot of sense, actually. So that's how they're going to monetize it. Okay. So a Docker Hub registry is free to use for public repositories. Plans with private repositories with a, are available in different sizes. All plans allow for collaboration with unlimited people. So the free plan gets you one private repository. The micro plan, $7 a month, five private repositories. Then they go all the way up to $50 a month. So they, have a, they go from micro, small, medium to large. Right. Large is $50 a month, 50 private repositories, unlimited yeah, that's not public. That bad. That's 10 bucks a repo. That's, that's not bad. That's super affordable. Yeah, that's really not that bad. Hmm. Look at Docker Go. Uh, yeah, we did have a book pick, too. Uh, this is from a longtime listener who uh, unfortunately had his awesome email, which was a little long but awesome, Eaton. Uh, he mentioned that he's recently gotten into Go and wanted to recommend people go check out Go Programming. It's a book on Amazon's programming in Go, creating applications for the 21st century. Uh, he's all in. He, yeah, he had a few funny comments about your, your Swift hate, and it was like, hey, go check out Go. And he wanted to recommend programming in Go. He just, he just wrapped up with it, and he started a Go project and wanted to pass it on to the yeah, Coder you know, Radio I'm, hear, I'm hearing a lot, of, a lot of Go love, and yeah. that's awesome. I mean, I, the stuff I'm hearing is, is really impressive. Well, it's like Swift, uh, but for everybody else, right? I mean, I don't mean to, do, I don't, I, I don't mean to say I that, like, but like— I, I think that might be— I, I guess I what I'm saying is, is Go got there first. 
I don't even think that's fair, right? Because Go is supposed to be server-side efficiency, you know, crunch your data, baby kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, Swift is, we're going to make this look pretty. I, however, I, I, however, you are seeing client-side stuff now written in Go. You know, and, oh, of course, but speaking of server-side, I mean, Docker, <laughs> right? We were just talking about yeah, Docker. Docker. Yeah, Docker. I mean, certainly, you know, it's funny, though. Google and Apple came up with a language. Apple came up with one for pretty UIs, and Google came up with one for running awesome, powerful server technology. That sounds about right, actually, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of yeah. how it goes. Yeah, although you'll find, you will find over time, I think Go sort of uh, seeps into all aspects. I really do, because yeah, I, I, tons of love for Go out there yeah. in the community. So Yeah, see, look at um, uh, Micah, too, in the chat right now, says, I'm loving Go. Uh, Elkin says, Go is lovely. You see, so there's some good, Go love Go, everybody. Go. Swiftly, go, love, go. All right, Mr. Dominic, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback. There's a couple of ways you guys can do that. Coderadio.reddit.com. That's the subreddit. Coderadio.reddit.com. We'd love to have you go there and join in the public discussion. We have feedback threads as well as get links for things you think we should talk about, topic ideas, discussions, things like that. Submit them to Coderadio.reddit.com. Email us. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click that contact link and then choose Coda Radio from the drop down. And guess what? Magic happens. Robots from the future deliver your email to both Mike and I. And of course, Mike, where can people find you throughout the week? They can find me at fingertip.technology. Boom. I love it. You can find me on Tech Talk today, tomorrow, and every day, Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at jblive.tv. And catch me on the tweeters. Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. If you're an E3 fan, we'll be covering some of the E3 announcements tomorrow on tech talk today and don't forget you can join this here show live we do it on a monday at noon eastern jblive.tv go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that in your it's, local it's actually time three eastern noon western but oh no. i mean noon he's, yeah he's from washington he's a little high this is where i live man it's it's this is the only time all right everyone thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of quota radio we'll see you next week get it out of this is negative